This episode has been sponsored by Seeds of Growth Grief Education. Seeds of Growth Grief Education trains and certifies professionals working with families in the pregnancy and infant loss community. We are so honored to have you join us for this episode of Beyond the Loss. I'm Aditi Leverage, brief parent to two and parent to one living child. I'm a specialized pregnancy and infant loss coach and founder of the registered charity, the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. And I'm Danielle Kaluski, bereaved parent to my daughter, Emelina, and parent to two living daughters. I am the co-founder and director of operations for the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. On this show, we share real stories about parenting and healing through pregnancy and infant loss. We allow space for the often silenced truths around loss to be heard. We offer an affirmative space for all people impacted by loss to share their stories, their triumphs, and their healing. Please remember that the stories shared are personal stories and are not to be used in replacement of professional advice. Please visit our charity link in the show notes for additional support should you need. We are so excited to have you join us for today's episode. Let's start talking. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Loss. This is our first episode of 2022, and we're really, really excited to be joined by Ram Das. Ram Das is a producer, multi-instrumentalist, and songwriter whose constant dedication to render the beauty of human experience, its triumphs, tragedies, and beyond, inspires a unique potency in his musical collaborations and creations. He recently released an EP entitled, And Now He Has Wings, which is a musical rendering of his emotional process after losing his newborn son to a fatal genetic condition. We're very honored that this is our first episode of the year. I think it's going to be a beautiful one, and I'm so excited to have you here with us, Ramdas. Thanks so much for having me. So the first question that we ask all of our guests is, can you tell us a little bit more about what led you to this place to find us today on this podcast? Yeah, so uh, seven and well, actually almost eight years ago, eight years in April, my then wife and I uh, had a son named Siddhartha, who had trisomy 18. And um, we chose to carry him to full term, uh, even though we were told very early on, recommended to, to abort, we just felt that that wasn't the right thing for us to do with him. And uh, we got three days with him, which was really miraculous. And he he was amazing and really changed my life. Subsequent to that, uh, there were a number of medical emergencies. My partner got thyroid cancer. And then, you know, my life fell apart, essentially, as happens to people who deal with infant loss, or can happen. And uh, I continued to just live my life and and keep going and do the things that I needed to do to put food on the table and and stay sane and stay alive as best as possible. And through everything, I ended up uh, getting to record this uh, EP. Um, Now, I guess I recorded it seven years after he passed. And it was really the first time since he passed that I was able to actually grieve and process for myself. So it's, it's a very personal and uh, emotional work for me, uh, but also very cathartic. And, you know, it was, it was important to me to express that, that especially as the father of, of someone, you know, a father who's lost a, a newborn, to express my vulnerability, to express the the emotions that I have um, and had, and also try to inspire others to keep going because I know so many people are dealing with awful things in their lives. And as a musician, you know, we we can't necessarily save lives like doctors can, but there are ways that we can inspire and and uplift others. And this was my way of doing that. That's that is. Um, incredible. Thank you so much for, for sharing a, like a brief synopsis. I know there's so much more 
within that within that journey that I'm sure that we could we can talk about but what stands out to me most is like here at the charity and the work that we do at the center is we really believe in this concept that not everybody heals in the same way and so for the pregnancy and infant loss community there needs to be options for what resonates for each individual person and for you music is obviously um medicine it's medicine music is medicine yeah and it can be medicine can you tell us a little bit more about like how like you obviously were in music you're having all these feelings how did you actually get to that step of creating that so yeah I've been a music producer and studio musician and touring musician backup but support musician for a number of artists for uh going on 12 years now um, and I started music when I was really young. Both of my parents are professional musicians. So music is just part of my life. It is, it is my lifeblood. So I kept doing my job essentially through the loss. And, you know, my job is to help other people make their music. And I bring my artistry to that. But ultimately, my goal is to help them express themselves and create something professional and that that feels fulfilling to them. I put out a record in 2011 that was mantra music because I, I grew up as a Sikh, actually. Um, I wore a turban until I was 21. And that was part of my life then. But it wasn't necessarily an authentic expression of myself. It was an ex authentic expression of myself musically, but lyrically, and underlying that, it didn't represent me. It was just a really beautiful work that I did, almost like a, a, I don't know, a landscape painting or something. You know, it's like I was producing a record that I wanted to make as beautiful as possible. But I was young then too, and it was like I was doing a, a certain amount of job <laughs> for that too. So this was, it, it had been niggling at me that I need to do a record that's personal to me, something that is a, a, an expression of myself. And every one of my friends was going, when are you going to put out your record? When are you going to do this? And the pandemic actually just sort of paved the way. A bunch of things got canceled. Uh, obviously, we couldn't travel as much. I couldn't have people in the studio. I ended up going down to Tulum, Mexico, where a close friend of mine named Bogdan Jukic lives, and he is a world-class world violinist and also multi-instrumentalist. He actually used to play in a Canadian ensemble called Bowfire, which has been on public television. It's sort of like uh, river dance, but, but violins. So brilliant, brilliant musician, but also the sweetest, sweetest man you'll ever meet. And we had worked together on a number of projects and he has been playing with a, a vocalist named Mati Davia, who's from Argentina. And the two of them improvise a lot together. And improv improvisation is a big part of how I have learned to play music. So we basically found musical ideas and then improvised these pieces along an emotional structure. So I was thinking all about my story. Uh, Bogdan and Mati were not thinking about that story, but they knew my story too. And we made this music, which happened to perfectly tell what I wanted to say. What was that like? Because as you said, where you basically just worked you needed to your your life literally had unraveled but you didn't allow your space yourself the space or I guess you and society didn't hold the space for you to to actually unravel and so now you're in in Tulum Mexico making this beautiful piece of music that is telling your story was there like did you unwrap did you allow yourself to unravel or does it like come out in the music like what does that look like for you it definitely comes out in the music. I would say that making the music was one of the most joyful experiences I've ever had. And it was so ridiculously easy. Uh, it, it's hard to explain how easy it was to make this music. 
because we literally sat down and went, oh, that's how it goes and played it. And what made it onto the record essentially is live takes with some editing and with some elements added later. My unraveling definitely came before and continues, you know, this time of year, the holidays, like, you know, the air could be a certain way and I'll get emotional. Something in me will go, oh, I remember this feeling. Like it's, it's something that lingers. It's something that I am learning to live with. Um, you know, the grief of that loss is just a part of my life. And I, I don't regret that at all. I don't resist it anymore. But the music itself, you can hear the emotionality in it. You can hear my, my philosophy, I guess, uh, which is that the way to happiness for me is just to have my feelings in real time. And that being happy does not preclude having hard feelings too. So each of the pieces has, I don't wanna say binary, but it has a, a, a complex array of emotion in it. So even the piece that's the most upbeat, that's, that seems the most happy also has a gravitas to it. It also has uh, a certain sense of purpose and yeah, an experience of having lived something that's, that's it's not saccharine, basically. It, it, it has depth to it. Yeah, as we do, right? I mean, I think that's the cool thing about music is that it does, it, it gives us the space to hold all of it without actually having to overanalyze or, you know, it's like it, it all music makes us feel something. Well, good music, <laughs> good music makes us feel. And sometimes as humans, we tend to compartmentalize or feel like a healing journey should only include talking to a therapist or, you know, like these very, like, it's like a construct of what healing looks like. I think a lot of people have this like Western view of what that is mm -hmm. and that creativity piece and alternative ways uh, and, and alternative medicines can be just as, if not more healing than, than some of these traditional paths that we, that we take. Hey, Danielle, this is, the, this is really cool. Cause Danielle and I have we both firmly believe in alternative healing and, and different practices, but we, we haven't had anybody. We've had like a yoga instructor and we've had that, those kind of things. We haven't had anyone come on and talk about healing in this kind of realm. Hey, no. And I think you said something really interesting when you were talking about like the healing, like when you shared like where you are right now, because in Western culture, I believe that we think that we're going to heal through yeah. traditional talk therapy. And then that is it. And we're going to move forward and we never have to look back where in actuality, what you shared and something that I've learned over the last 10 years of my grief journey is it doesn't, it's not linear. There are moments where, you know, the holidays are easy for me and the holidays are really hard. There are moments where January is an easy month for me and January is not an easy month. And so the fact that you have openly shared that today, as well as your, your journey through using a different modality that Western culture and kind of mainstream culture doesn't maybe look at, but I can see there's a ton of healing and just like processing that happens. And I think sometimes we don't necessarily have to heal from grief, but we need to process it and we need to consistently process that. Yeah. And consistently revisit it. And it sounds like for you. Ramdas music is that way of like safely entering that space. Certainly one of the ways, as long as it's not performative. I think that's that's the key because it's yeah, so tell us personal. More about that. I would say as soon as it becomes performative, it becomes the job and it becomes mm. acting rather than this thing which is that the way this music is is more stream of consciousness it's more playing a feeling and using that as therapy almost like the the sufi dervishes go into a trance it's that's the type of space that we were trying to find something beyond intellect essentially so i completely agree because like 
talk therapy is wonderful. And sometimes you need to be able to intellectually put thoughts together in order to have a better understanding of yourself. For me, at some point, uh, and, and there are other alternative healing modalities that I have practiced that help me arrive to this, having a story about what's going on for me became much less important than just having the feeling that was coming up, continuing to behave well, treat people kindly, treat myself kindly, and keep moving forward. Because ultimately, okay, I've talked to someone about what happened, but then what? Then I still have the feelings. And then I, so we still have to get through those feelings and keep moving forward. And in some ways to me, I've realized I, it doesn't matter what thoughts are attached to the feelings that I'm having. So I don't know if that, if that uh, adds to what you were oh, saying, Danielle. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I recently read something about like, you know, we have our thoughts and just because our, our thoughts don't always equal our feelings. And it's taken me a lot of time and self kind of self-work to realize that like the thoughts and the feelings are not always connected. They can be, but they're not always connected. And even in grief to allow myself to like feel and not worry about where I should be or what I should have done or anything like that, because my daughter passed away from a stillbirth. And so when you look at stillbirth, there's no known cause they can mm. suggest that it was the cord, or they could say that it was this, but there's really no known cause, but there's a lot of thoughts that go with that. And instead of, I had to learn to like, forget about the thoughts and just live in the feelings, live with that sadness to be able to process. And then when I process the feelings, I could kind of go back to the thoughts and be like, Hey, this is not a rational thought. This is, you know, this is like when I thought about finding resources for families, that's a reasonable thought going back and being, Oh, well, I shouldn't have eaten or I shouldn't have done this. That's not a rational thought. And that doesn't need to live in my grief or my life. So I can see how music would kind of help with the process of that. Absolutely. And sort of short circuit the the feedback loop that might happen between thoughts and feelings where, okay, we're having a feeling. And then we go, well, why am I having a feeling? Well, it, it must be quote unquote, X, Y, and Z. It turns out we just made those things up, <laughs> you know, in that moment, it's like, okay, that's what seemed logical. That was the best our minds could do at the moment. At least this is what happens for me. And then having had those thoughts, then more feelings happen. And so you kind of keep spiraling forward when all it, many, many somatic therapists would just be trying to get to that first feeling. What was that first feeling? And can we allow that feeling to happen? And then, yeah, explore that. The music can create a safe space, as you were saying, to just have the feeling and that feeling can transform into other feelings too. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because the music is a sort of therapy, but at the same time, it's, it's just music too. So uh, it, it can have the seriousness or it can just be something beautiful. Oh, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> we're talking about thoughts. So now I'm like, I have so many thoughts or I have so many feelings happening. I think as we're talking about this, one of the things that for me standing out in my work, so I, I work with clients as a pregnancy and infant loss coach. And that's like one of the things that I always kind of reiterate is talk therapy is good, but what talk therapy does is it takes our story and we intellectualize our story to someone else who then therefore intellectualizes it back to us which again, in, at certain points in our journey, it, it, it can be helpful. However, a lot of people leave those sessions and then that's all that they do, right? Mm -hmm. So then they wait for the next session to do the same thing. And I always say that like, in order to truly process and move through this experience, we have to drop down from our intellectual mind, right? And so it sounds like that when you went to Tulum, Mexico, that was kind of what was happening for you as you allowed that space and you let go of 
actually, maybe you can clarify if you let go of the outcome, because it sounded like it came really easy, the creation, but that's not why you were, you didn't go with that necessarily an intention and you weren't like focusing on writing what ended up being this beautiful EP. Right. We just knew, okay, let's walk away with so many pieces and we'll see what they are. There's a lot of trust. Honestly, it's a lot of trust in in the other people involved to be able to go, okay, I'm spending this money and I'm coming down there and we're going to sit down and play music and trust that we all know what we're doing and can communicate in a way sometimes beyond words, mostly beyond words, so that we're, we're aiming toward a similar goal. But you're right. Uh, we we weren't. It, it wasn't the same as as going in with these are the songs. These are how the songs are played. This is how I want it to sound. I just went. Here are some things that I'm thinking. I'm thinking about what it sounds like, what it feels like for, you know, if souls are real, what is it like for a soul to decide or to to begin the process of becoming human of entering this world. What does that sound like? What does that feel like? I have a feeling in my body what that feels like. I also really wanted to capture the power of water and how water is in everything. I found out that there was something wrong with the pregnancy at Niagara Falls. And I had literally, like that was the first time I had ever gone to Niagara Falls. I was looking over the falls, walked away and got the phone call. And it's like life changed right there and then and it felt like the water carried the message so i really wanted to represent water as part of the part of the music and i really wanted to represent death so birth life death water it felt like okay here are some abstract things that we all have some feelings about and now let's sit down and play and we found it. it. It all just made sense. Yeah, we're probably pretty lucky. <laughs> we're thoroughly lucky. Uh, but it worked. And, and I suppose it's after my son passed, there was a lot of struggling, so much struggling, so much trying to control. I mean, when you can't stop your child from passing and and in my case we actually needed to help him pass because he was in pain it, it's um it's very counterintuitive and then i wanted to do everything i could to help my family and that's really why i hadn't done anything for myself for a very long time because my focus was taking care of my daughter and my partner um, who were in crisis, and I put their crisis before my own. The way for me to handle my crisis was to handle their crisis. Extremely codependent, but noble, I suppose. At some point, that all stopped working. I mean, it wasn't working from the beginning, but it was what I could do. And then it fell apart completely. And that gave me the space to stop trying. And for the first time in many years, I was living for myself rather than for other people. And that's a really weird feeling to have, to shift from codependency to taking care of myself. It's terrifying. It was terrifying. I grew up in a community, a spiritual community where service was the was paramount. And my name Ramdas means servant of God. So it was like, I was given this name that was like, you're supposed to take care of everyone. The, the thing that I had to learn was that I needed to take care of myself first. And ultimately that actually meant relaxing and letting go. So this music came from that process too, having learned and having been given the opportunity to put myself first and do something that I wanted to do and do it the way I wanted to do it. Powerful, powerful. And I think that's one of the biggest steps in 
this grief journey is be- getting to that place where where people are okay to do that. And especially as a partner, I think uh, like we've had a few partners on and that's usually usually what ends up happening is, well, I'm there for everybody else. And then I didn't process until what wasn't working really stopped working, <laughs> right? There's always that pivotal moment, I think, in a partner's journey where they can pinpoint and go that realization of, wow, I've really put everyone first and it's not working, clearly not working. Um, something that keeps coming back to me that like, I really want to ask if we can chat about, because you said, as long as it's not performative Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry, it just keeps, it's like, for me, I'm like, I can't let this go because I feel like you're connecting something really, really significant for me. Like we talk about performative allyship, right? Like in this, in this culture, we all know what performative allyship is, right? Like we, we say that we support BIPOC community members, mm-hmm. but but really in reality, how many, how do we do that? But when you said as long as it's not performative in making the music for, like you said, as your job versus, right? I felt like that was such a powerful statement because it made me feel like I see so many people that are navigating pregnancy and infant loss that whether they're aware of it or not are doing a performative healing mm. they, they they walk around thinking that they're doing the things but it's all performative because it's all here and they're not allowing that safe space to drop down further and I just I just I'm like oh I have like goosebumps all over my body because I've never found a word for it I've said it to Danielle many times but there was never a word for it and I just wanted to see is that what you meant by performative yes yes and I think finding the aspects where I've been living my life because I think I'm supposed to do it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. That's, that's a huge part of, of what my journey has been, especially in the last year, two years, which is funny because the longer we get from the event itself, it seems like it should, it seems like the bulk of things should have happened in the first however many years but the truth is it's like i'm still living this now danielle it it sounds like it's a similar thing for you and i just want to say i really appreciate you sharing about your daughter and i'm so sorry and thank you the the thing about performance to me is if if it's performance then there's some aspect that is disconnected from myself and there's nothing wrong with it. Like I, I, I am so careful that, you know, whatever I do in my life, I, I try to validate, like I'm doing the best that I can in any, any given moment. So there's nothing wrong with it. And in going forward, I'm striving to make choices that are, they're mine. They're my choices. They're based on my values rather than what I think other people are expecting of me. And especially with grief, it's like there can't be a supposed to about any of this. We all have completely different stories. We all have, while we may have experienced infant loss, the circumstances of those losses are completely different. And our relationships are completely different. The ways we, the, the, ways we were raised are completely different. And then our biology is all different. Our neurochemistry is different. So ultimately it's, I wonder about what the, what the point is, what, what we should be facing toward. For me, it's happiness because happiness includes a whole lot of other circumstances that I can't, if I were to go, go, to try to achieve any one of those circumstances, I would be losing probably the happiness component and it's performative. Then it's like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to aim for that. So in my case, it was taking care of my family who were dealing with all sorts of illnesses and things and trying to keep food on the table. That was the, while it was the thing that seemed right to do, it was the supposed to it didn't actually include my happiness in it. And then it didn't include their happiness either. So if I'm aiming for what happy is, 
it's scary because it feels like the floor is dropping out from under you and you're letting a whole lot go. But at the same time, you're allowing for feelings to happen. And you, for me, it's more of a Zen space of, of walking through the world in a loving way and allowing for my humanity. So performative somehow to me comes across as a caricature rather than full 100% human. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I yes, you've, you are speaking my language. I, I so agree with that. And I think that's like when I had my lot, my first loss, that is exactly what I did. I was very performative. I did all the things that I thought I should do. And I, I actually wrote about it and we posted it on our Instagram for the center was I remember leaving the hospital and I got a text from a friend because it was over the holidays. Um, I, I, it was December 26th and I was leaving, I think, December 28th. And I got a phone call from a friend who knew what had happened, who had basically said, so are you still, we're still on for the New Year's Eve party. I was hosting a New Year's Eve party. And right then that shifted how I thought I was supposed to be. Right. My, mine was an ectopic pregnancy. Didn't know I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, well, yeah, of course we're going to have the New Year's Eve party. And I shouldn't, I should be okay because I didn't even know I was pregnant. So how could I be mourning a loss of something I didn't even know was there? It wasn't until years later when I allowed the humanity to, to show up. And then when I actually started to do this work, which is why I do it now, that was when things shifted for me because I realized it doesn't matter what other people think I should be doing. Clearly, mm-hmm. this was a deeply impactful experience and it didn't matter if I didn't know I was pregnant. Later, when I came down from the crisis and the trauma, it was very present for me. And so I think that like everything you're saying is like so true. And it sounds like you mentioned that you grew up in a very like uh, spiritual kind of setting. Is there a connection between spirituality and music for you? Yeah, I would say I'm not religious, but for me, music is the closest thing to a God that there is. If God is a higher power, is something greater than me, I experience that through music. So yeah, it's it's extremely spiritual in that it's miraculous. I don't I, I don't get how it works and I'm you know really good at music theory. Like I've studied music and I still don't get it. Yeah, it it's 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 profound in that way. I would say well, well yeah, that's 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 what it is. I wanted to circle back to just say you know grief is grief and we're in a culture where having feelings, especially having grief, is not really a safe thing. I've seen, obviously, many people talk about the toxic masculinity in Western society. I don't necessarily understand or or want to get into those labels, but I just know there is a stigma for men to express grief, to cry. But similarly, I've seen people describe women as hysterical or overly emotional. It's just like, it doesn't matter who you are. Ultimately, there's many different brands, but ultimately we're, as a culture, not very open to uh, people having their feelings. I worked with a man named Francis Weller, who's down here in the Bay Area, who learned the Dagara grief ceremony from Malia Doma Somme, who actually just passed away recently. And I guess in their culture, grief is something that is honored regularly, and it's vital to keeping society going. Grief is the offering to the ancestors so that we can have good feelings. And I feel like that makes sense biologically too. It's like, if you have a really good cry, it opens you up to actually having good feelings in your body. They also understood that grief needs to be witnessed by other people. And that's where I'm hoping to see a shift because obviously it's affected all of us who have experienced loss, where we start questioning ourselves because we've experienced this thing and because we're having these feelings rather than going, I'm feeling this way. 
I need to change plans. And just, and that's, and there's no problem with that, right? It's like, it seems so simple, but when you're in it, it is, it can be so hard. It can be so hard. And the only way out really is through. Right. And I love that. I love that culture that really honors it because we are, especially in North America, like this society, we're very, very don't feel your feelings kind of space. You know, we've seen that thing like it's okay to feel your feelings. That's become more present in our culture and everything outside of that kind of doesn't allow actually for that space. Everything. Right. We're I mean, look at what we're going through with COVID-19. I mean, it's a huge trauma for ongoing trauma for 22 months and yet we're all expected to present at work we're expected to do all these things not feel the feelings and that's just not reality like if there was more space of honoring all the griefs that we all experience collectively individually uh, throughout our lives like I really feel like society would be such a different space at least in North America I don't know about other places but right that's what we're also trying to do is try to shift that space, right? Give people permission that, as you said, grief is grief. So no matter what grief you're holding and at what stage of the journey you might be in, that if grief is present, that there is, there's a space to, to drop into those feelings, into yeah. the humanity of the experience and move out of that performative way that I think many of us consciously and unconsciously move through grief right I just lo I love that like I haven't had anybody say it in that way where I was like whoa that's exactly like there was a word for it like that's exactly what it is and we see it so often hey Danielle like I mean both you and I did it I think every griever does it that performative piece but then there's that shifting of realization yeah and I think that you have to shift to really show up and to really be able to like go through that journey. You have to show up though. It's interesting because it took me seven years to get to the point where I could really stop being performative and really lean in. That was through, and I, you know, that was through going back to work. That was through having another child, like, the postpartum, you name it. Like I had to go through all of that before I was like, you know what? I'm not who, like, I'm not showing up the way I should be. I'm not happy. I can't find the happiness. I can't even look at joy anymore. And that's when it started to like click as you were sharing, like, you know, that's when it started to change for me. And I could start like being honest and looking at myself and those that are around me over the last three years and like figuring out who really needs to be in my circle and who am I showing up in service for, but they aren't in service for me. So I think that like the grief, there's so many layers to it. And I think that it's, it's a very long for myself. Anyways, it was a very long process. However, the more I've gone through it and the more I've become uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable, like feeling my emotions, the more clear I've become and the more joy that I've experienced. And it's like the simple joy of like sitting on a couch for years. I couldn't sit on a couch and even watch TV. To me, that was just like, I was on my phone, I was reading. And now that's just that simple, like I can sit on a couch and watch the fire or I can sit on the couch and watch TV and I can find joy in that. Whereas for a long time, I couldn't find joy in any of it. So thank you for sharing that because Aditi and I see it all the time. We see it in our community. We can pinpoint people in that are going through it and we can see that they're struggling, but we also know that there's, we can only offer them options. We can't do anything more than that. So like we can force somebody to get out of the performative stage. We provide them the space that they need, knowing that it could be a long time before they get there. I love that. I catch myself regularly trying to distract myself from the feelings that I'm having and truly being able to just have moments where everything feels okay, regardless of how chaotic it is in the world, regardless of how chaotic life is with partners and children and everything work, being able to sit on the sofa and feel the fire, being able to just be present for 
moments, it makes it all worth it ultimately. And for that, I'm actually grateful for this experience because I don't know that I would have found the levels of joy and peace that I do at times if I hadn't gone through what I did. Absolutely. I, I, I'm definitely one of those people that doesn't prescribe to the notion of everything happens for a reason. However, I have said many times, like after my losses, I am a vastly different person, right? It, it, it changed me. Yeah, like I think we're undeniably changed and change doesn't always mean bad, right? For me anyways, it, it, this experience, I mean, it changed everything about me and not obviously my career, but even deeper, deeper than that, it, it changed how I show up in my relationships, how I parent, how I show up in service, not only of others, but myself, like you were mentioning. And I think that's a big shift. I think I would have been very surface level. I would have been very surface level because I think once you experience death so intimately, you're going to be changed. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm right there with you. I, I don't have any uh, attachment to the idea that everything happens for a reason, that, there, that there's a plot to any of this. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know. Like I'm very spiritual, but I, I try not to get into the dogma of things or wish things away or even try to overvalidate the circumstances. It's much more of a letting things be as they are and coming to an allowance and a serenity with, within that moment. And yeah, it's, it's, I'm totally different too. And I know so much more of who I am. And how I respond to things. And change is terrifying. It's like it's stepping into that unknowing, that that place that we don't know. And so there's a lot of comfort in the familiar, even if the familiar is exceedingly painful. But allowing for change and walking through the terror of it allows for um, transformation and hopefully more peace. Beautiful. I feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> and if you're willing, I would love to have you back on. I'd love um, to. Love yeah, to. because yeah. I think that the conversations we're having here today go, I mean, it goes so deep and we, we can go so much deeper. And I'd love to have you back on if that would be of interest. Because yeah, everything you're saying, right? There's like the music is your medicine. And yet there's this whole other level of I think medicine that you're bringing to the world. Thanks. And, and, and it's really beautiful that you are doing that in honor of Siddhartha and, and his journey and your journey as a parent and a father to him. So I'd love to have you back on and further this conversation. Thank you. I would, I would absolutely love that. Danielle, would you like to ask Ramdas our kind of like our last question? I was thinking we could do our last question that we ask all of our guests. But I would really like to have the song kind of take us out of today's episode so our listeners can hear it and really put together what this experience is and the song and everything and offer that medicine to, to our listeners, if that's okay for you as we, as we leave today's episode. Sounds yeah. great. Thank you for the conversation today. I love how honest and vulnerable you've been and bringing that voice to partners We've had, like Aditi shared, we've had a lot of partners on and every time we have a partner on the partner's voice is just so much more amplified because your story, although our stories are different, the way my partner approached loss was very similar. And he himself has had to do his own work in order to process much like myself, because we were both raised to move on, mm. not to deal, but to move on. And as we've chatted today, we can't move on until we move through and until we sit in the uncomfortableness. So with that, if you could go back in time and tell yourself something that you know now, what would you tell yourself at the beginning of this journey? That's a really, really good and really, really hard question because there's so much consequence to having changed anything 
and I have a really good life thanks to all of the choices that I made, including the really terrible ones and the ones that I thought one of us in the family or multiple of us were not going to make it. Honestly, it's just keep keep breathing and relax. I mean, it's like, I'm not sure that I could have changed anything because so much was, it was my biology and my neurology and my nervous system and my adrenaline and the relationships I was in, like everything moved exactly how it could have as quickly as possible which included a lot of pain and a a lot of hurting each other's feelings and and just very very uncomfortable things but i i think knowing that there's another side beyond and that letting go and relaxing i mean it's you can't convince someone to relax right but if if i heard myself if i saw myself now and I knew what's going on in my life now, then I think the prompt to relax would make sense. Beautiful. That makes a lot of sense. I agree. Telling someone to relax when they're in that state probably will do the opposite. However, when we allow ourselves to go through and get to that space of the beyond, we can see how powerful and needed that is. Thank you so much, Ramdas, for being here, for putting your medicine and your gift out to the world and the story and Siddhartha's journey into the world. Uh, You may not have been able to change anything then, um, but I can definitely say you're changing things now for others that are navigating this journey behind us. So thank you so much for being here.
Martin, 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 Martin,